we are completing a series. It's been, a tw- it's been 12 weeks. <laughs> uh, the resurrection kingdom. And what does it mean that our lives, our lives are set as citizens of a great city to come? A city who's just, in a sense, invisible and strewn throughout the world right now. And, um, you know, I have a lot of content today to give you. And, and uh, so let's get at it. But I w- and to culminate this um, series, we're going to look at a passage. You know, we've been sitting in, you know, toward the back of the Bible for, for 11 weeks now. <laughs> At the book, at that, toward the back of Revelation, looking at this glorious city and how it contrasts to the city of Babylon that the Bible calls a horse city, right? But in contrast to the bride. But I'd like to look at a passage here now called in Hebrews chapter 11. Go, go there. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10 and verses 13 to 16. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, 13 and 16. Verse 8, this is the word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Let's go to verse 13. These, that is all these great saints from the Bible, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been seeking of that land, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray for today's message. You have prepared a city, a new civilization, a truly multi-ethnic global city, a city which will, but made without strife, without tears or shame or war or racism, where there'll be no more poverty, Lord God. There'll be no more strife. And one day, all people will give of their talents, will give of their work, will give of their riches gladly, generously, without pride, without contempt for others, Lord God. Because you will reign. Your heart will be in our hearts. Your righteousness will wash, have washed us all. And there will be a new and glorious civilization, Lord. And I pray that today as we talk about this, you know, we've been talking about this for weeks upon weeks, that you would make us a people like our father Abraham who look for this inheritance, 
the city whose foundation is builder is you. Be with me now as I, as I preach something that's it's not easy to preach, Lord. And only by your spirit can we see this and begin to have faith. So give us faith. Just like our father Abraham. All our forefathers who have gone looking forward to this city. Running and pilgrimaging to this city. Made by you. In Jesus' name. You know, we've talked about a lot of things. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about the implications of what it means that heaven isn't merely a place in the pie in the sky, but it is a renewal, a material renewal of the creation. Well, one day the creation will no longer be cursed. And all of the culture which is built up, it will be washed and, and redeemed. And, you know, how all these things, as we look, at, we look in this life, as we live, we live in the midst of a Babylon. We live in the midst of a very prostituted city where everybody does not do things for its deep intrinsic beauty and its goodness. But we often selfishly grasp after these things. And we prostitute ourselves so much. And this is the norm of the time in which we live. And yet within this, the Bible says there's another city beginning to arise that all those of us who are, who are citizens of, those who have known Jesus, you are citizens of, of another country. And when you're looking at this passage, I hope that you can see this, this, there's this drama. There's a great drama that's being listed here. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, this chapter 11, some have called the, the Hall of Fame of Faith in the Bible. But I'm particularly interested in this particular commentary about Abraham, who is the father of faith. He was the one first called to journey to this city. And we're all children of Abraham, of those who know the true and living God. And, you know, as we talk about this thing, as you can see, there's a drama. The drama of being an alien. That's what it is. It's a drama of being a sojourner. The drama of being a pilgrim. Let, 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 me, let me translate this a little bit. It's a drama of being an immigrant. <laughs> And maybe many of you, I hope you can start to see this here. When I use the term immigrant, you're like, okay, I'm starting to, uh, uh, that's something I'm familiar with. I hope many of you are. Because what is an immigrant? An immigrant is someone whose heart and identity, whose culture, maybe even citizenship, and sometimes, you know, people come as immigrants and they change their citizenship. But often many people who live here, you know, we call them those with the permanent residence, Sometimes maybe less than permanent residents. But their heart, their identity, their culture, their, their, who they are is of another place. And they live here. And in one sense, you can say they are here, but they're quite, not quite here. They're trying to make their home here, but in one sense, their home isn't really entirely here. That is the, that is the, the place, in one sense, of the immigrant, is it not? And throughout the whole Bible, the, uh, throughout the Old Old Testament, God has had a special love and a special mercy and has always called Israel to have a place of mercy and of grace for the, what, what, the, what the Old Testament calls the foreigner or the stranger in your land. But you know what God's intent was? God's intent was always to make a people that would be the citizens of his city, of his land, 
But so, what that would mean is that there would always be strangers in this land. <laughs> That's what it would mean. Until one day he brings us home. One day there will be a great and glorious city. That is where we belong. That is where our citizenship lies. Because Jesus has won this for us. Now many of you, many of you think, you know, you, I, and I began this series, and I'll just revisit this, just, just want to revisit this point. I, I came to Jesus. I know that through Jesus, he shed his blood, and I'm going to get forgiven, and then I get to go to heaven. And you tend to think of heaven as, a, as some place on the, in, the, in the pie in the sky, and by and by, so to speak. But what this passage is saying to you is that a land was chosen for our forefather Abraham. And he went to a literal land. I mean, he traveled a thousand miles to come to a land that he didn't know. But actually, when he got to that land, it was said, this is your land. What, the, what this passage is saying to us is he knew this was the land that was promised to him, but he actually re, he knew that he wasn't entirely there yet. Isn't that strange? He's on the land, but he's not entirely there yet. And what it's saying is that he had an inheritance. An inheritance... What is an inheritance? I want you to think about this. If you have an inheritance from your father, an inheritance is something which is yours, but not yet. Right? It is a riches which is rightfully and securely and absolutely yours, but not yet. (laughs) Something will happen. It will come to you in the future. And what this passage is saying was Abraham traveled. I mean, he went from Ur of the Chaldeans. That's like modern-day Iraq so around, so forth, right? And he traveled all the way to this land, which is modern-day Israel. And he came to this land, and God said, this will be your land. But, and he goes, this is my land, and this will be the land of your children. And the Bible later on says it's not just the biological children, but the spiritual children of Abraham. But then he, he got there, and he realized, but I don't quite have it yet. It was an inheritance. And thus shall be all the children of Abraham. We will be like him. We will inherit a land. That land will have the most glorious city. That is this land. (laughs) This is this land. And so we live in this world, which some hymns have said, this is my father's land, but we also know it's not his yet entirely, for the battle is not won. But the passage is saying, this is what you've been given by Jesus. Not just that you will just get saved as an individual and be sent off into the the nice place, but that God will redeem all of this in a glorious city and civilization. This is what we march to. Now, we've been talking about this for weeks upon weeks. And what I'd like to do in today's message is to talk about practical stuff. All right. Now, you you know, I hope every one of my messages leave you with something practical. All right. Um, but generally, if you've been coming to our church, you know that I'm not a person that typically will teach you after this, okay, now go home and do A, B, C, X, Y, Z. I don't tell you, do this, don't do that. Because generally, you know, this is, this is the, the, the tone, it is the dominant note of, of, of the works righteousness of our society. They say, do this. It's, it's in self-help books ever. Do this, A, B, C, X, Y, Z, and then you'll get the good life. It's very much a performance, a works-oriented way of viewing life. And in, when you come to here into this church, I don't want you to hear that message because that is not the main message of the Bible. I always want you to hear 
that it is not your performance that will get you blessing, right? It is that you have been blessed and so thus pursue the life of blessing that you've been given. It's weird, isn't it? That's what the gospel is always teaching you. I'm always giving you the super sufficiency of Jesus, not always telling you what you're supposed to do, but what he has done for you. But in this message today, I'm, I'm going to shift a little bit. We've been going 12 weeks about the greatness and glory of this great city, which is ours by inheritance. But I would like to give you practical stuff. What does a citizen look like? Because you notice immigrants have a culture. They, they, you, you go, you know, if you're American, you shake hands. But then if you go into certain cultures and you walk in, you notice they don't shake hands. They may bow, right? You know, you go into certain restaurants of the, of the culture of this day. They may use forks and knives, but then you go into another one, and then they have a different set of customs. But let me, just as the immigrants who live in our city, they have a different culture, those whose heart, whose identity, whose citizenship is in God's citizen, you know what? We have a different culture. We have different customs. We, do, we are weird to this place, right? We think differently. We handle our money differently. And that's why we had messages about pleasure and marriage and children and work. We talked about all these different kinds of things because in one way or another, I'm giving you pieces. I'm giving you pieces of how the citizen, the culture of heaven is. Okay? But as we culminate this message, what I wanted to do today was to give you, well, some do's and don'ts, so to speak. Okay? And don't please don't walk in and, uh, with this sense, oh, okay, okay, now this is the way I'm going to earn my way to heaven. No, no, okay? But this is, this is the way the heavenly people think and operate, not because they're going to earn their place, but because Jesus has already won their place, right? So let's see if we can get this on here. Is this working? Oh, man, we've got technical issues. Oh, it's gone. Okay, beautiful, wonderful. All right, can we get like one light here? Okay. Practical wisdom. All right. Remember, when we live here, you are you. You know, many of you. I don't know exactly if you're all American citizens. You are. You have a citizen. You have a citizenship in America. America is an increasingly Babylonian place. Right. A increasingly Babylonian culture. Every nation and every culture built on the wisdom of man all goes Babylonian. It's just what the Bible says. They all go that way, right? Um, and, you know, it's, we're just going there faster than we used to, all right, in this country. Um, but all Christians, you know, you, you, you live, you, are, you, have, you have a dual identity. Right? But your deeper citizenship is in eternity, is in a deeper city. And I want to talk about this practicalism. So... I don't know if you guys are note-taking types. I want to say, let me say a little something before we start doing some of this. All right, I'm going to give you. A, I'm going to throw a lot of content at you t- today for the, the rest, the remainder of this message. Please don't feel like you have to swallow all of it. If you walk away with one today, and you are convicted to live that way, and you know this is a change in you, then you are acting. You are sowing a piece of repentance into your life, and you'll be sowing a new piece of blessing into your life and those around you. If you just do one of these and take it seriously. But I hope that as I talk about these things, you start going, hey, gosh, I don't do that. (laughs) Or I certainly need to grow in that. If you take one of these away and let it begin to unfurl, 
with Jesus and his gospels at the center, I, I, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, it will bless you and those around you, it will. Right? And if we all begin to do this, then we will be a strange counterculture, a powerful, grace-filled, heavenly counterculture into a very Babylonian dying city. Okay? So let's start. Number one. Number one, pick a job or a career, not just for your money, not just for your status, but for impact unto the shalom of the city. Look, one of the things that's making our society so terrible today is everybody only gets a job and they got this. What's in it for number one, which is me? (laughs) What's in it for me or me and my wife and my children? But they're not actually thinking, what does the work do which actually contributes to the blessing of the city itself? Which actually contributes and fills it out. Because that's what you're actually supposed to do. Whether you're a janitor, (laughs) or whether you're an IT, or whether you're a school teacher, or uh, or a stay-at-home mom, you know what you're actually partly doing is you're doing something which blesses the wider, great civilization and city. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Your children, you're actually saying, I look at my children as a contribution to the blessedness of the great city. And the city is supposed to be owned by the Lord, right, ultimately. Now, since people don't see the Lord, they'll just go, okay, well, then who's it for? Well, everybody then concludes it's for me. Now, I know this is not an easy thing. Some of you are like, well, I already picked my job, and I hate my job, and I picked my job and my, my major many years ago primarily to make money, and it doesn't really fit me anymore. And if that is the case, you know, well, I don't know. I mean, what to say to you except maybe you should change your career and downsize your, 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 your lifestyle. Or maybe I could just say it's made by grace. The Lord gave mercy and led you into this. Just be thankful that you have a good job, even though it may not fit you very well but seek blessing out of it. You know, all work today, you know, the Bible says that the man was cursed. The work doesn't always fit, right? It doesn't fit us very well, and it doesn't bless us. But when you do your work and you choose your work, you young people, especially those of you guys, I, it's gra- I wish I had heard this piece of advice <laughs> when I was a, se- a senior in high school, <laughs> when I, I was told this, it would have made me you know, think very seriously more about my major, not just in terms of how much money I'm going to make, but what is it that I was actually wired and gifted to do and to study. You're wired in certain kinds of ways. Some of you, you know, if you can't sing a lick, please do not you know, uh, you know, audition for American Idol. <laughs> right? If you're horrible at math, <laughs> if you're horrible at math, you shouldn't try to be an, an accountant. You know, that's, a bad, that's a bad idea. Right? There's a lot of people out there going, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to go to law school. You know why they go to law school? Because they're bad at science. <laughs> they're like, I was an English major, and I don't know how you can make money from being an English major, so I'm going to go to law school. So they go to law school, and you know what? They're terrible lawyers. <laughs> but they want to go to law school because they know that lawyers can make $200 an hour or $500 an hour. But do you know what? A lot of lawyers, especially when you get straight out of law school, they're slaves. <laughs> they have to work 6, 70, 80, 90 hours a week. They are essentially corporate slaves. So, welcome. You have reaped what you have sown. <laughs> you became a greedy person, and now you got cursed by it. Right? But think differently. Not always for the amount of money that you have. You're going to live on this earth 60, 70, 80 years. Your career is going to be 30, 40, 50 years. Right? But you're going to... What, what you do in the name of Jesus for the shalom of the city 
The Lord will honor that forever, forever. If you sing beautifully for the Lord, he'll honor that forever. Think, please. Bless the city as you think about your job, okay? Number two, live under your means. Live under your means. You know, Christians should not look at their money and think their money is, is, this is the scorekeeping. How much money I have is my worth. How much money I have is my power. How much money I have is my freedom. Actually, what the Christians say, how much money I have, wow, you know, this is my means. I can find ways to bless my city because my ultimate city is God's city. And this is the strange thing. The Christians are, even though our citizenship is really in heaven and not here, you know what that makes us? That doesn't make us worse citizens of the United States. It should actually make us the best citizens of the United States. Because we're saying we know the deeper way to have community. We know the deeper way to make country. We know the deeper way to have culture. And so we contribute into that, please. So live under your means. Now let me just give you like a practical, you know, it's, it's helpful to have concrete pictures. We have a really great college pastor who's good at praise, and he's been blessing our, our, our younger brothers and sisters. And um, you know how we got him? Let me just give you a, a picture of how we got him. I'll tell you. There are two retired elders, one in our church, one that's not in our church. You know, they kind of saw, saw kind of what I was trying to do in terms of gospel-centered ministry. And you know what they decided to do? They decided to pledge a significant amount of money toward our ministry, and our leadership group, the steering committee, thought that we need to revive the ministry to the college ministry, and so we invested that money to him. But you can't do that if you can't do that if you're spending all your money on yourself, right? But if you live modestly and you learn to be happy and content with less than the full totality of the money that you make, then you can begin to do this and contribute gloriously, beautifully, and so there's so many ways. If just if even just 10% of the Christians, not even all of the Christians, I'm not even I mean half of the Christians or 100%, even 10 or 20% of the Christians began to do this. You know what will, what will happen? The people around us will think it is really strange what you guys do. There'll be so much more blessing. And I want to challenge some of you that we don't need elders outside you know, of, of this congregation to begin to think this way. If some of you start thinking, okay, I'm making $80,000 a year, you know, like, oh, that's a lot of money. Actually, you know, it's very, very, very realistic. You don't even have to have like a fancy job. If you make 40 and your wife makes 40, do you know that you guys make 80? You're already well over the, the median range in America. You're actually well even over the median range in San Jose. You make more than half of the people out of households in San Jose. Well, okay, some of you I know are well-educated and are going to do even better than that. You're going to do maybe like 90, 100, or more, right? But if you say, you know what, we make 100, but I'm going to live on 70. Well, that gives a lot of room to do stuff, right? Or even if you say, we live on 60, you buy a very modest house with your savings, you start paying down your mortgage, you, you can start doing things, even though you don't make a lot of money. So this isn't even just a point that I'm saying to people who make a lot of money. Even if you, if you just live a sensibly middle-class life, you can do tremendous things for Jesus with your wealth. Right. I'll give you a 2A, uh, just because this is important. Okay? Don't buy Mac's house. <laughs> okay? Do not buy Mac's house. And some of you are sitting there going, oh, sorry. 
We already did that one faster. <laughs> all right? And why should I say don't buy Mac's house? Because this, if you own a house and your mortgage is huge, let me tell you something. You don't own the house. It owns you. You don't own the house. It owns you. Actually, the bank owns you. And if the bank owns you, you know what? Jesus doesn't own you. The house, the mortgage, the bank owns you. Not Jesus. Not his city. You know, you don't have to live in a mansion today. You don't have to keep up with the, the Kims or in the parks and the Lees, all right? You don't have to keep, keep up with them today. If your friends have a, have, you know, have, have a 2,500 square foot house in a nicer neighbor than yours, and you live in a 1,500 square foot house, you know what? You are going to live in a mansion forever. <laughs> you will live in glory. Streets of gold. I don't know if they're literal gold, right? But I think what the Bible's saying, the streets of glory. Why do you have to have the best house? Right? Please. You know, if you make this one decision, if so, some of you are now, just think of just this one. If you go, I'm going I'm to obey number two, right? I'm going to live under my means, and I'm not going to buy Mac's house. All those of you guys who are especially single, those of you guys who are in college, please hear this. You're thinking, if you just drop this one into your mind, it, it will enable you to have tremendous more freedom in your heart. And you'll be able to do so much more with your finances, and you'll feel so much less stress <laughs> and so much less pressure. And especially here in Silicon Valley, I bet you a lot of people's marriages are being destroyed. In 08, when the, the stock market went, went plummeting down, guess what? A lot of marriages died because a lot of people lost their house, produced tremendous stress in their life. Marriages died. Children's hearts were utterly rent apart. This is the kind of stuff that's happening. So it's about money, but it's not really just about money, is it? It's not. Right? Don't buy Mac's house, please. Right? Think about a nice house, a sensible house, but not necessarily Mac's house. Three, don't pick a house merely for worldly gains or comfort. And here, what am I talking about? I'm talking about where you live. I'm talking about where you live. Seek incarnational impact and the blessing of your neighbors. Where you live, why you live there. In the gospel, the, the issue is not always what you do. You know, actually, the deeper issue in the kingdom of God isn't what you do, it's why you do it. You know, you can come to church. One person comes to church because he's going to make, show and make himself a good and righteous person. Another person comes to church because he's utterly poor and needs the grace of Jesus. Externally, they both do the same thing, but one of them is damnable. One of them, one of them has met the real and true and living God. It's why you do it, not necessarily what you do. Right? So here, let me, let me offer you, don't just pick a house. Some of you may pick a house in a, in a more expensive neighborhood, or some of you may pick a house in a poorer neighborhood. But it isn't necessarily why you pick it. I have met very self-righteous people who said, I'm going to downsize. I'm better than the other greedy people around me. And thus, I'm going to go live in a poor neighborhood because I am more righteous than everybody else. And those people are not pleasing to the Lord. And they're not pleasing anybody else either because they are really insufferable, all right? But most of you are going the other way, right? Most of you are going, oh, you know, like, I'm going to live in this house, and then we're going to live in this house, and then we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to move. And we live, we're very mobile. And do you realize if you're very mobile and you're always moving three, four, five years, how are you going to develop deeper relationship? 
How are you going to know if this neighbor, what are, what are the brokennesses in this neighborhood? How are you going to have relationships over long term where people deeply trust you and see great goodness in you? That you can love them and be loved by them. You know what? It actually makes you poor to be moving around all the time because how is somebody going to love you? <laughs> There's going to be times in your life your relationships will start getting weaker and unravel. And you'll be places and times in your life you will feel tremendously lonely when things are breaking down. But even then. So please pick where you live and think about this. Now, especially those of you who are young and you're going through your education, you may go off to grad school and so forth. You may not be in a place to make this decision yet. But think about this as you start to do this. People, you go into a city and, you know, you, there's a little totem pole of neighborhoods. This is the top neighborhood. And then there's like, you know, a little bit below that and a little bit below that. Work, you know, I live in Cupertino, which according to the worldly standard isn't like quite top notch in this area, but it's kind of like more on the upper end, right? But that's not why we live there. I straight up, you know, like actually we rent my father's house. And I told my dad, you know what, um, I don't want to live here if, if my daughter doesn't get into the Chinese immersion program because I'd rather be in a bigger house and I don't mind being in a poorer neighborhood. And I don't really care about the top scores in the schools. In fact, I would rather be in a neighborhood where the Little League is better. <laughs> okay. You know, my son's in Little League and he's one of the star players because... Probably, I, I sit there and go, gosh, he looks good. But maybe he looks good because the other guys are not that good. <laughs> all right, but, um, all right, that's just a bonus, all right? <laughs> uh, but you know why we're there? We're there because, because I believe that God wants me to love Asian Americans in the city. Right? And Cupertino's China. <laughs> right? And most of them are not Christians. Um, we're there because my daughter is in an immersion program and I want to give her to Jesus. Maybe she'll grow up and live in Hong Kong or Beijing and she'll speak fluent Mandarin. That's why we're there. And if you've been to my house, you guys know it's 19, not, not fancy. <laughs> and you know what? I don't really care. I don't really care. Right? I don't care because this isn't my home forever. This is my home for now. I am a sojourner and I have an inheritance and I am an immigrant. I'm, I'm like an immigrant in two ways, literally, right? But I, I am a sojourner, a pilgrim, like my father Abraham. Please learn to think this way. Right? And uh, I hope, you know, we have pe members of this church in multiple neighborhoods in this city. And some of you will choose to live in Palo Alto, and some of you choose to live in East San Jose. And some of you will say, you know what, I'm here because, you know, like, uh, you know, my job is over here on this side of town. And there's a lot of people who need Jesus, even though they're very well educated and, so, and they're very kind of worldly-wise rich. But some of you are going to be, you know what? I love Vietnamese people, and I want to live on this side of town. God calls me to them. Okay. Number four, bless marriages. Now, there, I can say a lot about this, but let me just say a, a, a few choice points. Not only your marriage... Whether, and some of you are single. Many of you, most of you will probably get married. Not even just your marriage or your future marriage or your present marriage, but those around you. Look, I was listening to, um, you know, one of the pastors I respect. He's, he's kind of a crazy guy. His name is uh, Mark Driscoll, right? And Mark Driscoll, in one of his points that he teaches other pastors, he's saying, look, what he was doing, he was railing on pastors who spend a lot of time in the church and neglect their wives. <laughs> right? that he was, that's what he was doing. 
He was saying, you're going to do this for Jesus, but your wife and your children are dying. And he was railing on them. He was saying, let me just tell you, look around. Marriage is the thing that's utterly dying. And because marriage is the thing that's utterly dying, we're dying. <laughs> and I'm not even just talking about the homosexual issue, the very understanding of marriage. You know what? We don't need gay people to wreck our understanding of, of our marriage. The heterosexuals in our society are doing a perfectly great job of destroying marriage, okay? So we're not going to, we don't need to gay, blame gay people about that. You know, let's just blame ourselves. Most of you are heterosexual, I think, <laughs> all right? And so we don't need to, to go to the, even that fight. Many of you are wrecking your marriages because, you know, there, there are many women, their children is more important than, than, than their husband. Many men, their work is more important than their wives. That includes pastors, many pastors. It's really interesting to listen to one pastor rail on other pastors and say, you're sinning because you think ministry. Jesus isn't your God. Ministry is your God. Isn't that crazy? Ministry is your God. This is common in the Korean-American church. And so you have a lot of Korean-American kids growing up, pastors' kids who don't believe in Jesus, because they just know that church and Jesus took my daddy away from me. And there's so many different ways we're wrecking this thing. We're wrecking the marriage thing. Brothers and sisters, apart from Jesus, the most important person in your life is your husband or your wife, even more than your children. Please. I'm, and I'm not saying make that person the be-all, end-all, because when you're under Jesus, that person can never be the be-all, end-all. But... Bless marriage. And, you know, there's so many different things. You know, there's so many different ways. And I can't get into all of it because there's all there's key pieces of wisdom in marriage that we all have to learn and repentance in marriage. But bless marriage, yours and those around you. Let me give one more piece of, of, of uh, urging you before I move to the next point. Um, those of you who are married, and especially have a good marriage, please love single people. <laughs> please love single people. And single people, hang out with married couples, especially those who are godly. Watch the way they do it. You're not going to learn how to do marriage from watching movies today, okay? <laughs> Please don't watch movies, romance movies. Oh, that's how I know I'm going to do marriage. Oh, my gosh. That's like the stupidest, stupidest, stupidest way that you're going to learn how to pursue marriage. Right? You know how you're going to learn how to pursue marriage? Be around people who really know how to be married <laughs> in a pleasing way, in a wonderful and blessed way. Go be around them. Be in their lives. Introduce them to, to godly friends. Single people, please, don't just think you're going to go meet somebody across a crowded room, at a bar, at a party. Why don't you get introduced by somebody wiser than you and say, you know what, I think this person, you might like this person, and this person might be a good fit for you, and this person knows Jesus. You know, we need this. We need a new culture of how to pursue marriage, how to do marriage, and we need to spur each other on, blessing each other. All right. Oops, I just turned it off. <laughs> All right, pushed the wrong button, and now we've got this. Ah! There we go. <laughs> Come on. Oh! Okay, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> all right, all right. Thank you, Jesus, for my foolish, redeeming my foolishness. All right, um, all right. Four A. I'm gonna go. Let's go quickly so we can wrap up soon. 
Okay, you, you know, you, you can get away without this. If you're married, if you're married, please make sex a priority in your life. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm very serious. I'm not joking, right? If you don't enjoy a holy and intimate, blessed union in your bed on a regular basis, then, like I told you in that message, it's not good. <laughs> it is not good. And I'm not just saying this as a piece of, uh, as like some kind of mechanical thing. If, when husbands and wives have a good sex life, actually a lot of other things have to come into place. Your relationship has to get better. You have to know one another. You have to develop deeper trust, deeper safety, deeper security. It takes time and energy. You know, going on a good date, even if you don't, you know, have sex that night, is actually a precursor to a greater sex life in your... Now, this is only for married people, okay? Single people, it's only for married people. This is a blessing you get if you're married. But a lot of married couples, a lot of them, they go two, three, five years in there, their sex life is terrible. It's, just, it's a picture of their married life, actually, right? So, please, uh, literally, you, you should schedule it. <laughs> if, if that's what it takes, you should schedule it. You schedule everything else that's important in your life, Right? You schedule when you go to the gym. You schedule when you do your taxes. You schedule when you go to church. You schedule lots of things. You schedule when your children do X, Y, Z things. Your, your children are scheduled to the wazoo. You, if, you, if that's what it takes, schedule. Right? And then it'll actually become a wonderful kind of event. And you're like, both kind of looking forward to it. You know, all this stuff. And, and if you have a fight the night before, oh, man, here you go. And then you've got to learn how to work through. All of those of you who are single, I want you to hear me, hear me. Okay, this is, you have to wait, okay? Oh, terrible. I don't want you to think of this as do not, just do not. Actually, what you, most of you probably want to be married, okay? I want you to say not engaging in sex now is not just a deprivation. You know what it is? It's a preparation. It's a preparation for a life of wonder and greatness. Because if you will disengage now and withhold now, your sex life will be incredibly better later, right? It's one of the pieces of preparation, please. Okay? That's enough about that. <laughs> All right. Five, make true fellowship with your brothers and sisters a non-negotiable in your time. Make true fellowship. True fellowship is, oh, let's just go hang out and watch some TV, man. No, that's not true fellowship. We're gonna, let's eat some donuts over coffee and chat, chit-chat. After, that's not true fellowship. True fellowship is you have to let them in. Walk with Jesus and call one another to live this life together. That's true fellowship. We're trying to do this in our community groups. You will not flourish as a person apart from your city, apart from your family, apart from other people. As I said in that message about community, you cannot find yourself by yourself. You need brothers and sisters to flourish in whom God called you to be Please make true fellowship with your brothers and sisters a non-negotiable in your time. If you haven't tried our community group, please at least just try it. <laughs> please give it a real good go. Right? And, so, and for those of you who are committed to community group already, please just double down and love your brothers all the more. Brothers and sisters all the more. Okay? Number six. This is the last one before I get to the one final one, which will conclude our message. Right? Consider the brokenness of the city. And this connects to my message from last week about poverty. Consider the brokenness of the city. Uh, let me just say one or two things about this. 
Um, you can live in a comfortable suburb, and everyone looks like they're all good, right? They're not. <laughs> they're not. If they don't have Jesus and they don't know how to live wisely, they're not all good. There are many people who are lonely. There are many people who are depressed. You got alcoholics. You got you got uh, people who have uh, eating disorders. Right? You got eating disorders both ways. We're eating way too much, or we're starving ourselves to death. Right? Be on the lookout, please, and have compassion. Some form of brokenness in the midst of you. Please be mindful and. If you sense there's some way you can make a difference, and let me just, just start small. How about just being a friend who listens? A friend who is safe. A friend who is safe for somebody else to be brokenness in front of, which you can practice, by the way, in community group, okay? <laughs> right? So, but be mindful of the brokenness of our city, the brokenness in our church. And some of you come to a church you come to this church, you're like, it all looks nice and neat. They got a nice children's ministry. The people look nice and neat. You know, and you're like, you want to be around nice people so you can have nice friends and meet a nice girlfriend, a nice boyfriend. You know what? That's not what I want. That's not what Jesus wants at all. The church is an invitation of the brokenness into the city to come to Jesus. It's an invitation. Your life should have a certain invitation for a certain brokenness to come in. Now, you can't have the whole world of flood of brokenness come into you because then you will be crushed because we're not Jesus. But Jesus does indwell you. And please, be, open the door. And Jesus, and if you open that door, Jesus will bring something to you where you can make a difference. Be mindful of the brokenness of the city. And lastly, number seven, and we'll wrap up our message this. Feed on the gospel every day. You know, in this church, we always close with the good news of Jesus. Feed on the gospel every day, and now you're going to feed on it because I'm going to give it to you, and you get to hear it. And, but I don't want you to just hear it. When I say feed on it, that means you take it, you eat it. You savor it. You, let it. you digest it all the way down, the good news of what Christ has done for us, which we could not do for ourselves. And let me share it to you this way. The Bible has so many different ways. The gospel is like a multifaceted jewel. The Bible has so many different ways that it proclaims what Jesus has done for us. Let me share it to you this way. Jesus came to his people, his chosen people. He went to the city, which was called Jerusalem. But here's the strange thing. The Jerusalem of his time was not the Jerusalem. You know what it was? It was a Babylon. It was a whorish city that chased after other gods, not the real God. And how do you know? Because the real God showed up. And then, but you know what Jesus did? Jesus came to the city, which was Jerusalem, but it was actually Babylon and strange. And they, and he lived as a pilgrim. He lived as a first citizen of the New Jerusalem. He lives as the king of the New Jerusalem. And what Babylon did was to kill him and ostracize him to the outskirts of the city. And you know, if we do this, we'll always be weird. We will always be weird. In this world, here's how our city works. Babylon works like this. You make money. You get smart. You make yourself pretty. You make yourself handsome. 
You live in a nice neighborhood. You put on the good clothes. You do all these things. Perform for us. And then you will be honored in our city. You'll be somebody in our city. You'll contribute to our city. You'll be great in our city. But not Jesus. That's how he did. He came in to serve. And he served so much, they hated him. They rejected him. But by being rejected, you know what he did? He says, but now he actually made Babylon, Jerusalem. He was rejected so that we can be accepted into his city. And we can have his heart. And we can have his resurrection. And his inheritance. And then when he puts this into us, then we can begin to live in the weird way that he lived. We served... We serve into the city, and sometimes there, some people are attracted to Jesus, and some people hate Jesus. And you know what? Some people are attracted to us, and some people will hate us. You know what? And we will share in the greatness of Jesus. But one day, because he was rejected, we could be accepted into a city, not on the basis of our performance and our glory and our righteousness, but on the basis of his clothes of righteousness, on his work on his attainments, will be accepted into his city and we can live for him. Let's pray. We need to feed on the greatness of the gospel out of which comes a great and glorious eternal city. Lord, people around us, they may not even know it, but they long for heaven. They long for that which is heavenly, that which is divine, that which is of truth and justice and mercy and love and holiness and glory. And in you, we have found it. But help us to see, Lord, not by sight, but by faith. Help us to walk, Lord, like our father Abraham. Help us to be the weird, strange citizens of eternity who are immigrants today and be the best immigrants. Immigrants who humbly serve and love and sow shalom into the city. Give us power and courage and grace motivation because you have won this for us. Not because we're going to attain it by our merits, but by your merits you give this to us as we pursue you and live under you. Bless our church, bless our city, glorify your name, Jesus. In that great name we pray.